Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Well, welcome to Midweek in the Word. We're thrilled that you're joining us for our second episode this morning. As always, I'm Pastor Brad, the Adult Ministries Pastor at Faith Bible Church, and uh, Pastor Tom is joining me again today. Welcome, Tom. Good afternoon. It's good to see you. Glad you made it here on this cold, <laughs> cold January day. Um, well, I want to I want to jump right into it again, um, like we always do. Um, but this this morning, I want to start off with somewhat of a, a different way. We've got a unique piece of scripture in Genesis four and five that we dealt with last week, and I wanted to take advantage of that. Um, Genealogies, somewhat a tricky topic a lot of times for people. And I, I ran into while I was getting ready this week an article on the Gospel Coalition's website from Scott Slayton entitled, How Do I Deal with Genealogies?, uh, which is right where we're going to be at this morning. He starts off the article this way, in a culture accustomed to an endless stream of entertainment, a sermon on a genealogy must surely rank alongside a root canal or a trip to the DMV (laughs) on the last day of the month. Even many mature saints skip these passages in their Bible reading or become discouraged trying to read them. So it's unlikely a pastor will create excitement by announcing that next week's sermon will be on a roster of names. Uh, Yet that's exactly what you did. Uh, This last week we dealt with the genealogy in Genesis 4 and 5, talking about Cain, Abel, Seth, and Enoch in your sermon series, Route 66. But before we get to that, like we're doing every week, I want us to back up, backtrack a bit, and talk about what the high points were from the message, and specifically what we learned about God. I think that the uh, fourth and fifth chapters are affirmation that uh, the plans of God are always are always accomplished, uh, even through the failure of His creature, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that even though he had driven the first couple out of the garden, he had instructed them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so he continued to bless the womb. Uh, He continued to multiply. And then we see that's what the genealogy is, just generation after generation, that you see the faithfulness of God there. I think the other thing that was, uh, was, was quite significant is the big picture of God's common grace that uh, he, even those who were just blatantly rebellious to him, he continued to offer grace, reach out, and call. So uh, he's the faithful God who keeps his promise, fulfills his purposes. He's also a seeking God. Uh, Even we saw that with Adam when he was hiding in the garden. It was God that initiated. And then when Cain kills his own brother, it's God that goes to him and appeals to him. So I think that's the bigger picture that Mm. we saw. And then obviously those stories are still God interacting with mankind. So from the story of these individuals through the genealogy, what did we learn about mankind, about us? Well, the natural bent of man is to replace God on Mm -hmm. the throne with himself. And uh, there is a battle of the wills, as it were. And uh, so man left to his own will just simply spiral further and further down into his depravity. Uh, He may or may not express it to the maximum of its depth, but it's certainly in the the fourth chapter, we just see how depraved humanity is, and they continue to wander further and further and rebel more and more, which will set us up for chapter six for this next week. Absolutely. That condition 
obviously anticipates something that God needs to act. This is an yeah. issue, um, which kind of brings us to the third question as far as how does this anticipate Christ? We know these stories are leading us to Noah and the ark and those stories, but ultimately it's pointing to the cross. So how does, how does Genesis 4 and 5 help us anticipate Christ? Well, if, for me as a, as, a, as a father, grandfather, now great-grandfather, I, I was intrigued by somewhere along the line the family communicated to their children that God is still approachable, but that he is only approachable on his terms. Mm. And his terms require the death of an innocent one as a covering for the sins of the guilty. And Cain wanted to bring God something that was more attractive, something that he had created himself. And uh, Abel had, as it were, risked dripping with blood. Hmm. And yet it was that blood sacrifice. So I think it sets the tone for that if, if God is going to be appeased and our sins are be atoned for, that there must be an innocent one die in our place. And then we also in that picked up the theme of the lamb, hmm. which starts there. He brought the firstling from his flock, it says. We, we don't know what it was in Genesis 3 that God slaughtered to cover them. One brother said it was probably a lion because their hides are bigger than others, and that would do the job. I don't think it was the size of the covering. It was the way. But suddenly we're introduced to the lamb that is a sacrifice, and then that theme flows all the way through. So you get all the way to Revelation, and they say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So that's just a a good refresher, reminder, what we covered in in the last week. Now I want to return back to Scott's article um, because uh, he, he introduces the concept of genealogies as a difficult portion of Scripture to understand. Um, do you think he's right in his assessment that we, we tend to avoid them when we're reading the Bible? And if so, why? I, I, I don't think that they're difficult to understand for those that are willing to slow down and take mm-hmm. the time. But I think we skip them because they're not easy to understand from the, that is, first read over, I get it, let's move on. But more a sense of, I don't even know how to pronounce these names. Mm-hmm. And what does this name have to do with that name? So, uh, yeah, even seasoned Bible readers will come to those sections where the genealogy are listed out. And they will just give themselves a pass to go beyond mm-hmm. it. And yet, uh, he points out in the article, and I think that we need to remember that every word in the Scriptures is the breath of God. He breathed it, and believe it or not, even the genealogies are profitable mm-hmm. for doctrine, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. So there's something there we've got to slow down long enough to look for. Yeah, no doubt. We find ourselves asking the question, why is it that God put this in the Bible rather than what my job should be, who I should marry, where I should go to school? Those those normal questions for sure. He, now, the, the author, Scott, goes on and, and he says, the, the surest way to grasp the author's main point is to approach the text with questions, something that we would yeah. definitely amen, that the right yeah. questions to bring to the text are, are a great tip when it comes to understanding. Specific to this type of literature, he recommends three questions. The first is, how does it fit within the author's narrative? Do you agree or disagree with that as a starting question? Well, that, that definitely was the starting point because uh, you know, I'd committed to going through two different chapters last week, and I, I realized there's two genealogies there, and I asked the question, why? And 
what's missing from the second that was there in the first. So uh, there was there was a, a crafted reason for explaining it. It wasn't the answer wasn't evident on the front end, but certainly the distinction was. So it fit with what he was trying to communicate. Hmm. How so? Take us back through a little bit of what Moses was trying to say by including this genealogy in particular. Well, this this particular one is that uh, he has promised a head crusher. And when that first baby boy was announced, the mother said, I got him. This is the one. The Christ has been born. She didn't realize that the one she thought would be the Christ turned out to be the killer. Mm -hmm. And so the genealogy of the one anticipated to be a Christ demonstrates that there is no righteousness in that line. And so he goes through seven generations showing how they just get worse and worse and worse so that the chapter begins with a murderer and ends with a murderer. Then you pop into the second one, and at the end of the fourth chapter, suddenly a third son is born to the family, the second one having been murdered. The third one is born, and there is new hope born there. So when you read that genealogy, you find out that neither Cain nor Abel are listed in that one, but Seth is listed in that one. Uh, because we have the privilege of jumping ahead in the story, you go into the Luke and you realize that in the lineage, the lineage of Mary, that it traces it back through Seth to Adam, to God. And so there was a clear distinction. We had two genealogies for a purpose. And the other one, chapter four, that genealogy ends with the flood. Uh, the line of Cain is no more, but the line of Seth continues beyond all the way to the Christ. Yeah, which really speaks to the second point that Scott makes in his article as far as how does it fulfill the promises of God, asking that question of the text. Um, based upon your last answer, I would assume you'd say agree. Um, so how so? Well, he said that there would be a head crusher that would come from the seed of the woman. And if if there is a cutoff, if all of the seed of the woman are, they're all depraved, they all need a savior, but if 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 it was only the one line, there would be no future hope. Mm-hmm. And yet he had it show, God shows how he protects that. With the birth of the third son's first son, I hope I didn't lose you there. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time, two hundred and thirty five years after Adam begins his life, men are proclaiming the name of the Lord. And mm-hmm. so you start to see this glimmer of hope birthed again. And then you get seven generations from Adam on that side, and suddenly you have one who walks with God and is not because God took him. And then there's that glimmer of hope. So even in the genealogy, you see this, maybe it's going to be possible someday to live and not die. Hmm. So you're really speaking to maybe what we would call a basic principle when it comes to understanding Old Testament text in particular, that we tend to get down in the weeds of what's going on in the story of the people. You're saying, remember who the story is really about here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think I, in my Bible, as I marked it up for last week, uh, you can see in chapter 6 and 7, I got a lot of work to do because there's nothing marked yet. <laughs> but in that one, I went through and marked all of the names that were listed. And so even in that, a genealogy, I think, indicates that God is interested in the individual. Hmm. And just because they rebelled against him doesn't mean that God forgot about them or was oblivious to their existence or what they were doing. And so just uh, the drumbeat of a name after a name after a name seems to come out. Yet the other part was that some of the names in the genealogies apparently had a message attached to the name. 
and uh, one of the dangers is we get down to trying to interpret every name and why they name that child <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. But there are some significant ones as you go along in genealogies, and you go, that name has a meaning. In this case, there's a repeated Lamech in both of them, but they're contrast to each other. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of pictures showing that you can see God at work, but he allows man the freedom to respond or rebel. At the same time, God continues to unfold his plan. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Which, which kind of brings us to the third question um, of, of Scott's, and that is, what glimmers of grace do we see in it? And you've already spoken a bit to this as far as specific to the, the lineage of Seth versus the lineage of, of Cain, but speak a little bit to how we see grace from God. Well, the, the fact that there is extended generational repetition. I mean, in this one, it's 900 years, they die, 900 years, they die. But there is always another generation beyond the one that died. So you see God's faithfulness to his creature and sustaining that. But like I said, in in chapter five, right in the middle, when you, the seventh in the line of Cain is uh, Lamech, the, the polygamist, the murderer, the vile. If, if Cain's is killed and he pays seven times some kill me 77 times and so you see that and you're thinking i've seen that 77 somewhere else Mm -hmm. so suddenly in the midst of that genealogy your mind goes to matthew 18 when peter says well how many times am i supposed to forgive seven times being extremely gracious and the lord said 77 times and so you you see it then you get to the to the (coughs) fifth chapter and all of a sudden, like I said, you get to the seventh, and here's somebody that doesn't kill but walks with God and is not. And like I said, that little glimmer of grace, uh, he's just as fallen as everyone else, but he made the choice to walk obediently with the Lord. And then it ends with Lamech, this time, looking forward by faith and saying, this one, this Noah, in him the labor of the soil will come. We'll finally rest in that. And so another just hopeful promise of a grace to be. In his article, he talks about uh, the Matthew 1 genealogy. And the, the stunning thing in that one is typical Old Testament geologies, uh, genealogies do not have women included. Uh, once in a while, when you study the kings, it's like this king's father was this and his mother was. But in the genealogies, they don't. And yet in the genealogy of Christ, you find that there are several ladies listed there, none of whom should have been there. They all had a, a, a reputation, and regrettably, uh, the author chose to label their them with their reputation, mm-hmm. the Moabites or the harlot and all of that, except when he lists them in that genealogy. Then he drops those labels and just shows them as grace. So there's just this, if you just read through it, you would miss that, but you're going, what grace of God Hmm. that he would put in the family line of Jesus, great, great grandmothers who were not worthy in any way. So obviously you've taken us through a bit of how we interpret the genealogies we find in Genesis 4 and 5, and maybe the, the appropriate way to sum it up would be as we're looking at other genealogies, as we run into other passages that maybe we're less familiar with, and we start getting he begot he and, you know, all, all of these things. And, you know, we start getting this glazed look over <laughs> on our eyes. Uh, maybe some of the important things to remember would be look for exceptions, look for surprises, um, look for trend lines. You know, is there a downward spiral? Is there a movement?
movement of some sort. Um, are there any other tips related to that, things to really keep an eye out for well, as we of, read? Most of the time in a genealogy, you'll, you, you'll, you'll find just a, a line or a statement thrown in in the middle of it that is a tip or a defining point. Uh, you also see repeated names that mm. if it's a repeated name, then there's, a, there's probably something you need to scrape away and kind of examine a bit. Um, I, th I think also uh, none of the genealogies are exhaustive. So we have a tendency to date the day of creation on the basis of we added up all the numbers, and they're not exhaustive. So you need to step back and count how many names are included. Is there some significance to the number of names? Then there's some omitted, but why were they omitted? Were they not important? God didn't know. There's, he's, he's timing it along the way, and uh, especially when you get into the kings and that. He keeps saying that they are their father David or not like their father David, and you're going, David is a long ways back. So why do you jump all those others? So you ask the question, you don't always have an easy answer, but you're always asking that question. Mm -hmm. Hopefully for our listeners, they'll, they'll dive in a bit more to the genealogies, maybe an area that they would have been less comfortable with prior to this. I, I love the way that Scott wraps up his article when he says, the genealogies challenge every Bible reader and every expositor, but they also yield the fruit of a greater grasp of the biblical narrative, a greater confidence in the promises of God, and a greater appreciation for the grace of God. Like all other scripture, the genealogies bear the stamp of divine inspiration and equip us for good works. We just have to develop the eyes to see it, yeah. which is what we're all about here on this podcast. Okay, so, so that was last week, but we've got another week coming. You're prepping to preach on Genesis 6 through 9, hitting what may be as familiar a story as Adam and Eve in the person of Noah. So as we prepare, what are you looking forward to sharing about on Sunday? Well, I, I, you'll notice as you're marking your Bible the number of times that he is a reflection of Enoch uh, who walked with God, and that's only been stated once before. Hmm. I think the other one is uh, just highlighting a, a, a sheet of paper how many times he says the name Noah, and he just repeats it over and over. If he had a good editor, he would have come up with something <laughs> and replaced it. The number of times that he speaks of on the earth, from the earth, or all of the earth. So the earth plays a significant part in what we're looking for. Then the other thing is uh, it's, it's an abbreviated genealogy, but just as Adam had three sons and one of them goes off the rails, so Noah has three sons and one of them goes off the rails. And so mm -hmm. you've got this bookend thing. It starts with Adam and his three sons. It ends with Noah and his three sons. And uh, so anyway, seeing, seeing that favor. And then the other, uh, there's a word, that a, a couple of words, but the one in particular that appears for the first time and it will tie the rest of the Bible together. And for the first time, we hear God say, come. Mm. And when you get to the end of the story, Revelation 22, he said, let he who is thirsty come. Yeah. The bride says, come. And it's introduced all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. Mm. Looking forward to seeing how the story fleshes that out a bit more. What about interpretive questions? Are there any sticking points yet in this narrative that you're wrestling a bit with? The struggle with Noah is that people's assumption that 
for the believers, we say, yeah, it was a universal. Everybody else comes up with a regional explanation as far as man could see, or the, the, the humanity had not spread over the whole face of the earth, therefore, is just where the majority of the people were, and we survived. So uh, I'm just right now just going through noticing the number of times when he said he destroyed all living things. Mm-hmm. He covered all the earth. He covered the tops of all the mountains. So asking the question, when Moses is introducing this to the children of Israel who have just now been liberated from Egypt, why is that important? Mm-hmm. I don't have the answer yet because it's only Wednesday. Mm-hmm. This is hump day. But at the same time, it's like, why do you make such an emphasis out of it? Covered everything, destroyed everything. And uh, I, I think there's an answer coming, but it's not here yet. Excellent. Excellent. And then finally, as we prepare our hearts for Sunday, um, how should we be praying? How should we be reading? Um, what could help get us ready for Sunday morning together? There is a, there's one other word that he puts in here over and over, and that is there is an ark of safety. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be preparing ourselves to say, in the midst of a world that is every bit as bad as it was when that flood came, when God judges as he will again, where will I find the ark of safety? Amen. Amen. It's a great reminder as we head into the rest of our week, head into the weekend, um, and look forward to hearing your message on Sunday about Noah, obviously a familiar passage uh, for most of us. Well, that's it for our second episode of our Midweek in the Word podcast. We're appreciative of you joining us again. Uh, we do hope it was helpful. We, we hope that as you read genealogies um, going to the rest of the Old Testament and into the future, you will find some of the tips and questions that we discussed uh, this afternoon helpful to you. Again, as always, remember to check out the Read Scripture app if you haven't picked out a reading plan for the year yet. And uh, get ready um, to read and listen to Tom's message on Genesis 6 through 9 as we discuss Noah together. If you hadn't read those passages yet, please take a a couple minutes and refresh yourself, even though the story is probably familiar to you. Um, And always, as we wrap up, please just remember that we're praying for you. We're glad you're along on this ride with us. We're glad you're engaging uh, deeper in the Word in hopes to get to know God more through that. And we do hope you join us next week for Episode 3 as we look beyond the story of Noah. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.